things, these are the instructions God gave Noah. There are a few things about the instructions that reveal the strength of Noah's faith. There are a few things about these instructions that really show this story to be one of the most iconic biblical stories of all time. God tells Noah that he will destroy the earth by flood. Noah's never seen a flood like this. Noah's never seen anything like this. And so he can't really explain what God is talking about. He can't really, there's no words to really describe and capture the magnitude of what God is instructing him to do. Not only does, not, not only does Noah have a limited understanding of how God will destroy the world, but he doesn't know when the earth will be destroyed. And to make matters worse, not only does Noah not know when the earth will be destroyed, he has limited understanding of the magnitude of this destruction. But Noah is told to do something that's said to be out of his occupation. It's believed that Noah managed the vineyards, believed that Noah was a gardener, believed that Noah was even a farmer. And God tells him to build an ark. Something outside of what he's used to, something outside of what he's comfortable with. Why would God put someone in an unfamiliar place with little detail? What we are seeing in Genesis chapter 6 is a stripping and an annihilation of any glory Noah could receive. What we are seeing is an, an annihilation of any trust or dependence Noah may have in himself. Noah was called to do something completely unfamiliar and completely out of his comfort zone. He was called out of his comfort zone with little detail. And because Noah was a man with a family, Noah wasn't the only one affected by this command. This was a command that would affect Noah's entire family. It's job changes like this that cause families to make sudden moves and sudden shifts in their routines and their ways of living. It's job changes like this that cause time away from family. If you've ever lived in the Hampton Roads, a military area, you understand about sudden transitions. You know about sudden changes. You know how it feels to be called to unfamiliar territory. There are people who were settled in their job. Their kids had friends at school. Things may not have been perfect, but they were normal. And as amazing as that promotion or that new job was, there were changes that had to be made in the routine. Yes, 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 we are grateful to God for the doors that he's opened. Yes, we're grateful for the ways that he's made. He blessed us with a new job with more responsibility, but their sacrifices that come with transition. We're grateful for the ways that he's made, but there's changes that come with transition. You may have to figure out a new date night routine. You may have to figure out how you're going to spend time with the kids. If your family has experienced sudden transition and sudden change, you have an understanding of what Noah experienced. Noah and his family have to figure out a plan and how to build this ark with little detail of how this will be effective without serving as a carpenter, as far as we know. In the mind of any human being, Noah has every right to walk away. 
in the mind of every human being, Noah has the right to disobey. But Genesis 6.22 says something astounding. It seems simple, but it's mind-blowing. Genesis 6.22, Noah did this. He did all that God commanded him. Earlier, I just read Genesis 6, 13 through 21, where God gives instructions. The very next verse says that Noah obeys. Notice the text. There is nothing in Scripture where Noah asked any questions. There's nothing in Scripture where Noah asked for a sign if this was real. There's nowhere in Scripture where God had to ask him more than once. God gave instructions, and Noah obeyed unfamiliar with the new territory, experiencing sudden transition, but Noah obeyed. How? How could you just change jobs and put your family through such a sudden transition, such a sudden change, knowing that everything will work out, knowing that everything will be okay with little detail, Hebrews eleven seven, by faith. Noah, being warned by God concerning events yet unseen, in reverent fear, constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this, condemned the world, and he became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. By faith. Faith. What is faith? Faith is trusting in a promise that has yet been revealed. It is faith that makes us Christians. I said that earlier. We're saved by grace through faith alone, right? We believe in the, that the Father fulfilled his promise by sending his only Son to take the penalty of our sin and defeat, and he defeated death by rising from the dead. We believe that we're sinners saved by grace. We believe in the promise of Christ's return. We believe in the promise of eternal life made to Christians through the finished work of Jesus. This is faith. It is through faith alone that we're saved. Hebrews 11 opens up by defining faith. Hebrews 11.1, 1, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Faith is reflected even in our everyday lives. We use faith all the time. We live in a world where crime is increasing daily, everywhere, and yet we casually say, I'll see you tomorrow. We're living in a day where we don't know what could happen when we walk out those doors of our home, of our church, of our job, and we say, I'll be right back. I'm running out real quick. I'll see you later. By faith, we say these things. It's by faith that we declare these things. Faith is living in what or believing in what has not been seen. Noah lived by faith. God gave him instructions in Genesis 26 or 20, Genesis 6:22. Noah obeyed. This is a powerful verse because it's in this verse that Noah, Noah spiritually signs a declaration of dependence. Not only does Noah sign this, but Noah spiritually signs this declaration of dependence and signs every name of his family. He signs the names of every member of his family. So in Genesis 26, Noah's declaring by his actions, not only will I trust you, but I will strive to teach my family to trust you. Noah's declaring, not only will I submit to you, but I will strive to teach my family to submit to you. Not only will I submit to your will and trust you and build my faith in you, but 
I'll teach my family to do the same thing. Noah never asked questions. He bowed his head in submission and he went to work. He demonstrated his faith in God's promise by how he lived. 2 Peter 2.5, it tells us that Noah was a herald or a preacher of righteousness. Who did he preach to? Who was his congregation? I believe the first congregation was his family. The first congregation was his family. Before Noah went telling on the mountain over the hills and everywhere, I believe that he preached to his family. Some of you may never see your name in lights. Some of you may never become a voice to the nation. Some of you may never live a life of luxury. Some of you may never reach the goal you set. But one of the greatest accomplishments anyone can make on this earth is setting a godly example for their family. Noah preached to his family. He lived out his sermon in front of them. It's not enough just to preach God's word because actions preach louder than words. Noah preached by how he lived. What can your household say about your life outside of what you say? Every day, Noah's sons could count on hearing the clash of a hammer and nail. Every day, Noah's wife could count on him walking in sweaty from a hard day's work. Every day, Noah's family could count on seeing a new part of the ark being built because Noah was a man who lived out his faith in front of his family. He was more than talk, but he walked the walk. He didn't do this in private, but he did it so his family could see. Noah wasn't familiar with how the earth would be destroyed or when, but he kept working. God commanded him to build this ark. And this ark, we, we heard cupids and all these other weird measurements. If I could just make the interpretation or the translation, God tells him to build a 450 feet tall ark, 45 feet wide, around 75 feet long. Scholars believe it took about 55 to 75 years to build the ark. Others believe it might have taken 100. But no matter how long it took, we can conclude it wasn't an overnight job. You can imagine the time and the work Noah put in. You can imagine the moments where Noah was tired and the times where he may have even hurt himself, the bruises and the cuts. Who knows how many stitches may, Noah may have needed. But he kept working. He didn't prepare for this, but God made a promise. He wasn't familiar with this, but God made a promise. If I could sum up God's instructions in two words, Trust me. You think God didn't know about Noah's occupation? You think God didn't know about how familiar Noah was with this? You think God didn't know about the lack of preparation? God knew all of that. Notice the text. God never tells Noah to be strong. God never tells Noah to have experience. He just tells Noah what to do. In other words, trust me. You may be part of a family like Noah's where you're trying to figure things out. You're grateful for the doors that God has opened, but now this new load seems overwhelming and even frightening. But God says, trust me. You're grateful for the ways that God has made, but you have to manage this new routine. But God says, trust me. 
You're grateful for the spouse and the children that God gave you and the, 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 the family that, God, that you prayed for, but raising kids and trying to work can be stressful. God says, in his word, trust me, God commands us to lean on his strength and his power, not ours. This is a declaration of dependence. God wants us to trust him and serve Even while sweat ran down Noah's brow, he found rest in who God is. For decades, Noah built the ark, and he served the Lord in front of his family. And some believe that his family may have even helped him. Some believe his sons helped him. I want to encourage you. If you're in a place right now where you can't go on movie nights, you can't have date nights, you can't attend certain marriage events, serve together. We have several ministries that need volunteers serve together. What if you and your spouse greeted people at the front door? What if you and your spouse served in production? What if you and your spouse sang together on the worship team and taught in children's ministry? In fact, Megan and Logan Orovitz, one of our children's leaders, they spent time the other day putting Easter eggs together for our Easter egg hunt we had for the kids a few weeks ago. And when I walked in there, they had a whole assembly line going with the kids. That's serving together. I can always count on the Orovets to take most of the load when we canvas because Logan's going to take a lot, Megan's going to take a lot, but they're going to pass it to each one of those kids. Thank you, Orovets. Serving together. And they're serving right now. That's why they're not up here. Because they're serving together as a couple downstairs as I speak. Serving together. Because God may open up doors that cause you, it changes your routine. You may not be able to spend as much time as you want together. But you're together right now in church. Use this time to spend together while serving God. And demonstrating your belief in Jesus. Find a way to serve together as a couple and as a family Noah lived a life of faith in front of his family. And after decades of building the ark, it was finally complete. The animals of every kind came into the ark to find refuge. And in Genesis chapter 7, verse 4, God speaks again concerning the ark. He says in Genesis chapter 7, verse 4, For in seven days I will send rain on the earth, 40 days and 40 nights, and every living thing, that I have made, I will blot out from the face of the ground. After seven days, God shut the door of the ark. The rain began to fall from the sky. Water shot up from the ground. And the entire earth was suddenly flooded. This was a flood that no man could outrun. This was a flood that no man could outclimb. This was destruction that found every hiding place and filled every crack and crevices in the earth. Man was doomed. Man was destined to face God's well-deserved wrath. God's wrath was poured out upon the earth for their wickedness. Every living thing perished. Every family on the earth perished but one. Noah and his household were saved. How were they saved? How were they saved? Where did they go? If the whole world drowned went into the ark. They were saved because they were in the ark. 
The waves rush, the wind blows, the lightning strikes, and the thunder rolls. This is a day of reckoning and sorrow for the entire world. This is a day of trouble. It's a day of trouble. But in the day of trouble, God reveals his purpose for the ark. In the day of reckoning, God reveals his love for Noah displayed through the ark. Noah was saved from the storm because God gave him an ark. We see that this ark is a place of refuge. But I would also like you to notice that this ark served as Noah's replacement. All of us have sinned and come short of God's glory. And so Noah and his family deserve the wrath of God. But instead of giving God or giving Noah what he deserved, God gave him an ark. And when the storm came, Noah didn't face the storm. The ark did. Noah wasn't stung by the rain. The ark was. Noah wasn't beaten by the waves. The ark was. Noah wasn't pushed and shoved by the water. The ark was. The ark faced the storm. And the crazy thing about the ark is the ark never sinned. The ark didn't rebel against God. The ark never thought sinful thoughts. The ark never fell into temptation. And yet it was the ark that faced the storm. Unfortunately, this is not the first flood that has consumed the earth. It's actually the second. It's actually the second. Because God is holy and he's righteous. He made us in his image. He made us in his likeness. But out of our arrogance, we rebelled against God. And once man rebelled against God, sin flooded the earth. From the clouds in the sky to the deepest trench of the ocean. From the highest mountain to the lowest valley, sin covered the earth. And because God is holy and he's righteous and because he is completely sinless, Man was consumed by sin, and so we ended up being separated from a sinless God, a perfect God, putting us in the place to deserve nothing but his wrath. Every human was qualified to face the judgment of God. We all deserve to face the storm of God's wrath, but thank God he gave us an ark. He gave us an ark, and this ark came from heaven born of a virgin. This ark lived among us and we beheld his glory. This ark was tempted at all points. This ark was tempted to live according to the flesh, but he was guided by the spirit. He was tempted to walk away from the will of the father, but he remained faithful. This ark was tempted to take revenge against his enemies, but he loved them. This ark was tempted at all points and never sinned because of his sinless life. He faced the wrath of the father on the cross like the first ark in genesis he was whipped and he was beaten this ark body was ripped and torn this ark's body was nailed his hands was nailed to the cross his feet were nailed he was forsaken by his close friends and his followers the ark faced the storm of the father's wrath by dying on the cross he was buried but thank god the story doesn't end there Three days later, the ark bodily rose from the dead, defeating sin and death. Jesus Christ is our ark. 
Jesus lived the sinless life. Jesus faced the wrath of the Father by dying on the cross. Jesus was buried, and three days later, Jesus rose from the dead. Jesus is our ark. And when your faith is in Christ, you will no longer face the wrath of the Father, but you will live in eternity with Jesus. To put your faith in Christ is to live like Noah did in the ark. You know, the Hebrew word, another Hebrew word for ark is box. Noah built a giant box. Wasn't built like a boat. Wasn't built like a ship. It was a box. It was a box about 450 feet long or tall. 75 feet long, around 45 to 50 feet high. Noah built the box. God also tells him to smear it in pitch or tar. Another word for the ark is box. And so this box, again, it wasn't built like a boat. It wasn't built like a ship. It didn't have a propeller. It didn't have sails or a pilot. It had no rudder or a navigator. It was a box. And that means that even in the storm, Because it didn't have a sail or it didn't have any way of navigation, this means that Noah could not lead the box. The ark led Noah. That means that whenever the ark stopped, Noah stopped. Wherever the ark went, Noah went because Noah was in the ark. This is what faith in Christ looks like. Faith in Christ. Christ, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Whoever believes, what? In him shall not perish from the well-deserved wrath of the Father, but they will have eternal life. Noah was in the ark. This is what it looks like to be in Christ. And so when it comes to Christ, faith is not a word of total understanding. It's a word of submission. Trust is not a word of total understanding. It's a word of dependence. So when your faith and your trust are in Christ, you surrender every idea, you surrender every plan, you surrender every strategy to him, and now he leads the way. You don't steer. You let God lead. You belong to Jesus. It's funny. Noah didn't keep the ark safe. The ark kept Noah safe. Noah couldn't bring peace to the ark. Noah found peace in the ark. Noah was told to build this 450 feet tall box. His first assignment, recorded in the scriptures, was to build a giant box in tar. You know, most people would be embarrassed to do something like that. Never been seen before. It's a really ugly thing. When you look at the ark, it's not as pretty as we see in children's storybooks. That was an ugly thing. When people walk past, they, what in the world is that? It's a big box covered in tar. And it probably smelled horrible too. But this is what God told Noah to do. Most people would not want to do something like this. We would take the blueprints and add our little ideas We would want to change the shape because the box is boring. We wouldn't put tar on there because it gives the ark a bad look. But come to find out, 
my closing points, my closing word, come to find out this, this ark may not have looked the best, like the Titanic. You know, the Titanic looked a lot better than the ark. It was taller than the ark. It had a shine to it. It had color. We're talking about the Titanic. We all know the result of the Titanic. The, the Titanic looked better than the ark. The Titanic was faster than the ark. It seemed stronger. But guess what? The ark was not meant for speed. The ark was not meant for style. The ark was meant for stability. The ark was meant to bring structure. The ark was meant for safety. Noah was strong in his faith, and he continued to build the ark for decades. And his family, I'm sure they struggled adjusting to the newness of the situation, trying to rebuild their lives. I'm sure he may have been mocked, but he kept building. I'm sure he may have been tired, but he kept building. But let me tell you something. Faith in Christ will keep you stable. Your faith is demonstrated by your obedience. It may not speed the process. It may not change the situation. It may not change the storm you may face, but it will keep you stable. The, the box, this ark, was not meant to look good. It was built for stability. As I close, Hebrews 11 and 7 sums up the life of Noah in just two sentences. Noah's life is covered Genesis 6 through 9, and yet thousands of years later, someone comes and sums up his life in two sentences. I have no idea how long I'll be on this earth. Just because I'm young doesn't mean I got a lot of living to do, unfortunately, because no man knows when their day will come. But one day, I do know this, I will be called home. And thousands of years later, I don't know, a few days later, somebody is going to type out and have to sum up my life in a few paragraphs or even a few sentences. And when that day comes, I don't want the focus to be on where I went to school. The focus should not be on how many ordination certificates I have or how big the churches were that I preached in, how many places I've traveled. But when my life is summed up, it should say, by faith. Marcus tried to love his wife the way Christ loved the church. By faith. Marcus tried to lead the ministries and shepherd the way Christ shepherds his sheep. By faith. Marcus tried to live a life pleasing and acceptable unto God. I don't know when my day will come. But somebody's going to have to type up and sum up my life in a few sentences. And my question to you, when your day comes, we know where you were born and we know about your accomplishments now, but one day somebody is going to have to take all of your life and sum it up in just a few paragraphs. What are they going to say? Will the focus be on where you went to school? Or will they say he used or she used their degree to be a light in the dark world? Will they say he focused on his job? Or will they say they use their job 
to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. The life of Noah was summed up in just a few sentences. And the only thing that could be said about Noah is not how skilled he was, not how strong he was. By faith, Noah constructed the ark and was counted righteous. What will people say about you when your day comes? It's going to happen to all of us one day. What will they say? How often are you declaring your dependence upon Christ? Or are you one to try to be independent and be strong on your own? How often are you serving and taking the opportunity to serve with your family and live out what you preach? This is the life and the legacy of Noah and his family. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. Because you're just good. You are good. You are holy. You are righteous. And we are so sinful. We are rebellious. And we don't deserve anything but your wrath. But we thank you for the ark. You sent your son, Jesus Christ, the perfect preacher who preached righteousness, not just by how or what he said, but by how he lived. We thank you for the perfect preacher, Jesus Christ. We pray, Lord, that as we live throughout this week, we would be mindful of the gospel. We would be mindful and careful to give your name all the glory and the honor by how we live. We pray, God, through the power of the Holy Spirit, that we would be geared toward living a life of faith, a life of dependence, a life of leaning on your strength instead of trying to do things on our own. Lord, it's our prayer that we would leave a legacy of faith. People may not remember our names. They may not remember where we went to school. But Lord, we pray they would remember our relationship with you. We thank you for this opportunity to dive into your word. We pray that we would apply this to our everyday lives and situations and routines. We give you our thanks. We give you our praise. In Jesus' name.